You're listening to the Homegrown Faith Podcast. I'm Joe Clark, and I'm chatting with my fellow pastor and friend, Richard Sweatman, about God, the Bible, and life lived growing our faith in Jesus. This podcast is coming to you from Hunter Bible Church in Newcastle. Good morning, Joe Clark. Great to be chatting with you after a couple of weeks' break. How are you doing? Yes, I am well, thank you, Richard Sweatman. How are you? Yeah, great. I'm very refreshed from a, uh, a holiday, and uh, well, just a week, but still good. And I thought I'd share a highlight from that holiday, um, and that is uh, our family visit to the Lura Candy Store. Oh, so good. Do you know this store? This I, I suspect I've been there, but I can't picture it. Okay. It's um, kind of a non-negotiable on our um, Blue Mountains holidays, which we, we manage to do now and again. Uh, not from my point of view, but from the kids' <laughs> They didn't go on a bushwalk across three days, uh, but they did go to the Lura Candy Store. And what's interesting, and and if you haven't been there, it's um it's a it's about the size of a telephone booth. Like it is very small. It's a broom cupboard sort of thing, yeah. uh, packed from floor to ceiling with um, lollies, candies in jars and little bags, and um, strange things, weird things, overseas stuff. Uh, it's got a got a, a vibe of. Um, I don't know what's that Hogwarts um, that that lane where they have all the the, the oh, old fashioned yeah. shops diagonally. Yes, it? something yeah. like this. It's got that kind of vibe. Uh, it's actually absolutely packed. Um, but just for some reason, I you normally Jen and I stand outside. We don't want to go in with kids. Go there with a with a few dollars and come out yeah. <laughs> half an hour later. But uh, I, I actually did buy some candy. I don't know why. I must have been in the mood. But um, uh, and I bought. I've got a, a weakness for sour candy, and I, so I bought some <laughs> uh, super sour uh, cherry fizz bombs, something like that. <laughs> and uh, you know, I thought, oh, you know, what's 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 how bad can they be? Um, and so, yeah, heading coming home, trying on uh, it, the sourness, yeah, was next level. <laughs> it was like <laughs> I was like weeping, making all sorts of faces um, <laughs> to the amusement of my family, and that. Lasted about, um, yeah, lasted about sixty seconds, and then it sort of sweetened up and more conventional lolly after that. So, I kind of enjoy it, but in a in a in a pain painful way. Yeah. <laughs> you sweatmans in your food experiences, you're always having fun. It's so good. Well, I'm I'm glad I'm glad it's uh, entertaining to you. Yeah, you know, and uh, I would never do that. So I'm enjoying really. Well, I would never buy a sour lolly that would bring me to tears. I just buy a regular lolly. <laughs> well, if you ever want to, uh, yeah, next time you're in Lura, if you want to live on the edge a bit, there's uh, there's options in that store for you. <laughs> so good. How about um, you, Joe? Oh well, I was going to talk about my holidays, but I have to talk about them next week because something happened yesterday that I just need to debrief. Oh great! Well, that's that's what I'm here for. Okay, so um, the context is year three. I had my worst haircut ever. I wanted to get a bob and look like Stacey Jackson, who was the cool girl in my class. Wow. But this instead, is year three. We're going back a long three. time now. Yeah, we're going back a long time. But instead, I got a boy cut accidentally. And it was like, we would now call it a, a delightful pixie cut. But at the time, it was a boy cut. And I went home and cried. <laughs> anyway, yesterday was the first time I was taking Teddy to the groomer. And I'd asked a few people casually, like, what do I ask and they're like, oh, you don't want a poodle cut. Because, yeah, I didn't want, like, the pom-poms on his tail or yeah. his around his head and his legs. I just wanted a regular dog cut. We're like, just ask for a shortcut all over. I was like, okay, great. 
So I take him to the green and I ask for a shortcut all over. They're like, oh, how long? And I said, oh, I don't know. They showed me this sign and I said, I guess that. And and I even said, this is my first time I'm bringing a dog to the groomer. They said, okay. <laughs> and then anyway, I get the text to go pick him up. I pick him. I look across and I see this black dog with my collar on him. And I yep. thought, that's not my dog. And then I saw his eyes and I was like, it's my dog. Oh. And he looks like a little rat, Richard. Oh, <laughs> no. so bad. <laughs> He, he literally had all of his hair cut off and none of his glorious curls are there. Oh. <laughs> it's too short. Is that what you're saying? It's, it's... way too short. He looks basic, basically naked. Like... Oh, no. <laughs> and um, the difficult thing is I'm now embarrassed of him, but he's cold. And so now I have to go buy a big blanket for him or a jacket, which I'm fundamentally opposed to. Oh, a knitted <laughs> cardigan, perhaps? A knitted cardigan, I don't even know, but... I feel embar- embarrassed to take him to the dog park because now I'm going to have to explain <laughs> that this is all my fault. Yeah. This poor dog who's, who had this delightful curl to his poodle curls. Mm. Anyway, so I've learned a very, very important lesson, which is when at the groomer, ask more questions. Yeah. <laughs> Before you commit to anything, really clarify yeah. what you're asking for. Yeah, wow. Well. So if anyone sees my dog in the next month, two months it's probably gonna take like a bajillion months to grow back just just be gentle with him because he looks really bad (laughs) poor teddy do you think um how how do you think he feels about it uh i think he he feels like he can discover his tail in a new way because it's just there and there's nothing else no other curls between him and the and the tail so he's currently chasing his tail right now so that's his biggest discovery i think but i think he's a bit cold a bit cold. Yeah, it is cold. Yeah. Poor Teddy. Yeah, well, massive dog ownership fail. So Yeah. Well, you know, it, it, it'll, it'll grow back, won't it, Joe? It, it, yeah. I mean, I remember someone saying that to me in year three and it made no difference. Made no difference. Because in, the, in the moment, it was bad. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So that's a refrain. When if, if anyone sees Teddy in the next month or two or three, then just... Yeah. Say, oh, well. Super gentle. And... <laughs> no, I'll get over it. I just, I'm, yeah, feeling, feeling, silly foolish. But anyway, let's move on to more important things yes. for self grooming. Yes. Uh, As we do, let's, uh, let's hear what, what have you been reading in the Bible, Jack? Well, I've been reading in Exodus 9, and I've been really enjoying digging into Exodus um, over the last couple of weeks. But something that struck me was in Exodus 9, where in the moments where Moses and Aaron are interacting with Pharaoh and then there's been the plague of the livestock, the plague of the boils and the plague of the hail. And um, in Exodus 20, the officials of Pharaoh actually, there are some who seem to fear the word of the Lord and so they bring their slaves and livestock inside. When they hear about the hail coming, they actually respond by doing what the Israelites um, doing what they should do, which is to think, yes, the Lord will follow through with this um, decree, this plague, and and so I should not ignore the word of the Lord. I should fear the word. Yeah. Um, others ignored. And then just a little bit later in the passage, you see how Pharaoh doesn't fear the Lord. and But essentially it yeah. got me thinking about how Pharaoh – He's had multiple plagues happen by this point. Yeah. And the desired response is that he would fear the Lord and obey the Lord. And even his own officials are doing that and he still doesn't. Yeah. 
Can you see where I'm talking about? There's a sen- it's a sentence in there. I just... A sentence where the, the, he fails to fear the Lord. He does not fear the Lord. Um, no. <laughs> Can't see it in front of me. And, and there's a description right at the end in verse 35 where it says, So Pharaoh's heart was hard and he would not let the Israelites go, just as the Lord had said through Moses. And so um, anyone who's read Exodus before, this theme is a really strong theme of the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. Um, yeah. But it just makes me think, oh, um, oh yeah, there it is in verse 30. Yeah. Or so I know that you and your officials still do not fear the Lord God. So there's a, there's a description of Pharaoh not fearing um, and it just, it just makes me think about how it's a right thing for a fearful response to God, which would lead to obedience. Um, and, and you see that, that theme carry all the way through the Bible. And it's just, it's just a funny word because the idea that we, we would say, oh, I fear God today, you don't really use that language um, yeah. now. It seems quite old school language. Um, but that's what I actually think I want, which is to hear God's word, be in awe, awe of his power and might and, and sort of have that trembling response to God being God and me being a created being in his yeah. world. Yeah. And that leading to obedience. And I can only do that because Jesus has saved me. Yeah. Um, but anyway, that's, that, it was quite a simple reflection, but it just got me thinking about fear. Yeah. I think it's a helpful thing to notice as you go through, as you were talking about, uh, um, that, that question of fearing the Lord, uh, one thing that's always struck me from Romans chapter 3 is that um, when he finishes the argument about human sinfulness with a bit of poetry and quotations from the Old Testament, um, in Romans 3 verse 18, he, the last thing he says really is, there is no fear of God before their eyes. So uh, fear of God is like, a, that's the, the last word there on, um, yeah, the, the sinfulness of uh, Jews and Gentiles and, yeah. and moralistic Greeks and everything. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So to have no fear of God, um, yes, that's a problem. So yeah, uh, we see that in Pharaoh as well. Yeah, and so when people say, "Oh, you're a, you're a God fearer," I'm always like, "Oh, what's that weird language there?" <laughs> but actually, it that's a right response. And mm. so, yeah, it's been, you know, we we, have, I'm I'm thankful for a God that that we can get to know our God better. But yeah, I also want to have a right fear of Him. Yeah. So Exodus 9, there you are. Yeah, well, fantastic. That's good, sir. <laughs> and what have you been reading, mate? Well, I have, uh, yeah, I do on holidays, I cracked open a, uh, a big book, um, Biblical Critical Theory uh, by Christopher Watkin, How the Bible's Unfolding Story Makes Sense of Modern Life and Culture. Mm. Now, this um, book has been um, released recently, and uh, it's, it's sort of inspired by Augustine's City of God, which um, you remember I've um, shared a couple of times. I've been reading. I finally got through it in the holidays um, with a a level of determination but enjoyment (laughs) along the way. Uh, And so uh, now having read that, I've I've thought, yes, this is a book I'll have a look at. Um, A few people have been talking about this book in um, podcasts and blogs and interviews and things like that. And I got to hear Christopher Watkins speak at the Gospel Coalition Conference last year. And so... um, yeah, I was, this is a book I've been keen to get into. So um, it is, uh, it's longish, so you, you, about 600 pages. So you may hear me again on this, <laughs> on this book. But um, what Augustine did in the City of God was um, in the first half, do a big takedown of Roman culture, a big critique of Roman culture. The foolish, particularly the foolishness of the God system 
they had there, the, the superstitions, the idolatries, and just uh, how foolish that was, even the philosophers, um, that uh, it wasn't consistent with logic or even their own values. It was just ridiculous. Big takedown there. Then in the second half, he kind of builds up, well, um, what? how do we understand the big picture of the world and the universe? Um, and that is that there, the... the the, is what the Bible tells us. And he sort of does a biblical theology going, starting in creation, looking at sin, the patriarchs, the histories, the prophets, Jesus, the, the gospels, the letters, um, and, and the, the kingdom, the eschatology, the end times. And so um, that's, yeah, it's quite big and, and so, um, and very convicting and um, influential. And what, um, yeah, Christopher Watkins done, has done is something kind of similar. Not with the whole first half, second half thing, but with a um, an approach of how does the Bible critique um, our culture? Uh, how does it um, enlighten, shine light on, help us understand, or criticize, or show the flaws in the way our culture thinks and behaves and acts? Um, and also to do that in a kind of sequential biblical theology way, so he doesn't just pick random things. He starts with creation or well, the trinity starts with creation uh looks at sin our uh, humanity what does that show us he's got a chapter coming up on uh, from lamech to noah uh, i'm just i can't wait to, to read what what lamech to noah has to say to our culture um and uh and so uh yeah it's been very uh yeah great structure great idea and also something i'm loving is the uh the way that he's just read a lot of stuff that I haven't read. Like Christopher Watkin is from a philosophy department. He's a he's a Christian, a very biblically grounded Christian, theologically grounded. But he has read stuff like um, Sartre or Plato or Rousseau or Derrida and the you know, names I've heard of but not really read much of and a whole lot of other stuff. Um, and so he really knows what he's talking about and, and brings, yeah, real insight into these things that inform our culture that uh, are pretty unfamiliar to me. So having given all that introduction, I've only got a, a minute or so to share something I've enjoyed in the last chapter, um, which is a chapter called Sin and Autonomy. It's one of two or three chapters coming out of the sin thing from Genesis 3. And uh, yeah, what he's talking about is how the move by Adam and Eve, the sin there, a big part of that was a, a reaching for autonomy. Um, mm. Uh, being their own masters and kind of their own God. And so um, uh, I'll do a little quote here. He says, The same desire for autonomy is evident in those who say that unless God shows himself to them in such and such a way, they will not countenance believing in him. This is to suggest that God must treat us as the ultimate arbiters of what is acceptable proof, regardless of what God himself may or may not have to say on the matter, and meet us on our own terms before there can be any question of faith translated into religious language this comes out as god if you bow down to me as your god i will then and only then bow down to you and in so doing validate my own superior judgment <laughs> so Ooh, um, <laughs> yeah so i thought i mean yeah i'd love to uh, imagine uh, having a conversation um like that with someone who um yeah who's demanding proof from god or something so yeah i'm not quite sure how, how that'll translate into into uh, my evangelism or apologetics or ministry, but um, just an intriguing and compelling thought. Yeah, that uh, it's this is not a humble inquirer we're talking 
about who's who's wanting proof. It's it's someone who's yeah repeating the same errors of uh, Adam and Eve in in stretching mm-hmm. for autonomy and and godlike authority. Mm. That's really interesting because so often as I encounter someone who's asking questions about God, I can feel almost impressed because they're thinking so deeply and they're 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 questioning and they're really wrestling. Mm. But this what you've just read that quote makes me think, oh, where's the is there a um, rep, um, yeah? Is there a seeking of autonomy? Is it are we asking God to bow down to us when we, as humanity, do that? Ooh. Yeah, yeah. But um, fascinating. No, there we are. So we may get some more insights uh, from this book over the coming months. Um, but uh, biblical critical theory by Christopher Watkin. Okay, sounds good, mate. Yeah. <laughs> now we're out of time. We yes. it has been a great chatting with you about sour candy. <laughs> Grieving with you about the loss of Teddy. <laughs> laughing, we can all yeah. laugh as well. <laughs> can we? Okay. Yeah, we can. He does look really funny. <laughs> I laugh every time I see him. <laughs> you know, Exodus nine and biblical critical theory. So you know, yes. it's been a great conversation today, Joe. Yeah. And if people are enjoying listening, why not share the podcast with someone, someone who you wouldn't mind talking more about Jesus with, or um, who you think, oh, they might enjoy that. Why not give it a share? That we would love that. Indeed. But that's all for now. We'll uh, look forward to chatting again next time, Joe. Sounds good. See you, mate. Bye.